Hi, Teresa. I'm so excited to talk about this movie. Me too. I think we've been dying for a little while. And Sarah Woloski is here too. Hello. I'm very joyful today. (laughs) Of course you are. (laughs) And we also brought in one of our good friends, Eris Schoenweiss from Delray Books. He's here to talk all things Pixar because he loves Disney just as much as all of us. Hey, Eris. Hello. I guess let's just kind of start off with our general impressions of the movie. So, Trisha, why don't you start? I loved it. I loved everything about it. I loved that the kids were talking to the movie as it went along while I was in the movie theater. And as my sister said about my youngest nephew, he reacted emotionally appropriately, which I thought was funny. (laughs) She was so proud of him for doing that, but um, it, it gave me feels, so it it worked. It worked. I like when movies give me feels. I Absolutely. I agree, um, and I mean, the movie isn't enjoyable unless you have feels, in my opinion, and this one was all about emotions, and as I watched Inside Out, I kind of found myself thinking about, uh, you know, me as a teenager and going back to the teenage years and how... I just wore my emotions on my sleeve like that and how one minute I'd be snapping at my parents and the next minute I'd be like, oh, I'm sorry, it was just puberty, you know? (laughs) So I I found myself really like reaching back in to my memories as I was watching this. So I I felt a a big connection with with the movie and, and, and joy especially. Wow, I'm afraid I might come across as the crotchety old man in this, in this feels fest. I thought it was good, but it didn't rock my world. I think the way it's uh, affecting so many other people who have seen this. They, everybody has a different way they react to a movie, so that's good that we don't have a, maybe a love fest yeah. for it. Yeah, voice of reason over here. Well, <laughs> I don't know about voice of reason, but certainly a different opinion, I think. Well, can you at least agree on one thing that Bing Bong reminds you of Steve Glosson? (laughs) (laughs) I actually hadn't thought about that before, but I could see uh, Steve Glosson being a Bing Bong in uh, in somebody's imagination. Yeah. (laughs) That's funny. Well, you know, for me, like, I I was pleasantly surprised. I wasn't sure – how it was going to work, you know, I was like, this is a really cool idea. It's a great concept. I wonder how it's going to work. And then as I progressed the movie, I thought, oh, this is really cool. And being a teacher, you have a completely different perspective on it because you get to see your kids go through different things. And I mean, I think even for people who are parents, they could relate to it, you know, seeing their kid go through all of these different stages and stuff. So I thought it was really neat. But my, I had a standout emotion, but I'm going to save that 
for a little bit later because I think we were going to talk about the one that we like the most. But yeah, it, it sticks with the kind of the Pixar formula of making something that isn't necessarily human into making it human, giving it emotions <laughs> and making them real toys. You know, all sorts of monsters, Ro- cars, robots. planes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all those things. So, you know, that it was interesting to see them actually turn emotions into thingies. So did everybody have a emotion that you identified with? And was it your favorite emotion in the movie? How about you, Teresa? I I personally feel like emotions are more complex than just being able to pick out, you know, well, my main emotion is joy or my main emotion is sadness. I feel like, and we're going to spoil you guys. If you haven't watched Inside Out, um, don't listen to this. Just turn it off now. Go see the movie and then come back. But at the end of the movie, we see Riley's core emotions being sort of like a tie-dye mush of different emotions. Um, And I feel like that's how emotions are generally felt is kind of a combo of stuff. And I feel like if I had two that sort of mushed together the most, it would probably be joy and sadness. My favorite emotion from the film was sadness, by far. She just, she rocked it. I felt, I could feel her pain the whole time, but I, she also made me laugh, like, all the time. And the circle of sadness, to this day, just, every time I think about it, I just die laughing. But yeah, I think I'd be a, I'd be a mix of joy and sadness, probably. My favorite part was when she was dragging her <laughs> yep. through the thing and the little lights were turning blue. Mm-hmm. But the cool thing about sadness was she kept saying she couldn't help herself. It just she would just make her do things, which isn't I mean, if you're in ever a sad state, doesn't that make you sometimes you just do things when you're sad that you don't understand why you do them. That's why I kept thinking that was so brilliant. She's like, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> I think part of the fact of, you know, that one thing where she was talking about she felt like she had a compulsion to touch stuff or that she couldn't help herself, that was because Riley was growing up and she was getting ready to change. And I feel like, you know, it was it was that that was happening inside of her brain, that change that was needed and sadness was feeling like, okay, it's my turn now. I have to take care of Riley now. But she they couldn't quite figure it out, you know, until the end. <laughs> Erish, did you have an, a favorite emotion, and was that the one maybe that you identified with? No, I actually agree with much of what Teresa just said. I think, I think to say that one of those five was my favorite emotion wouldn't wouldn't ring genuine because I, I don't. And I've been thinking about this a lot, knowing that you know we were going to have this conversation and stuff, like. To say that, oh, joy is my favorite emotion means that I'm just joyous all the time, and that's not the case. I'm not angry all the time. I'm not sad all the time. I'm not any of those five specific emotions, like, truly, I mean, yes, you have a moment of joy or a moment of anger or whatever, but to say that, like, that's what I identify with and that's how I live my life, it's it's not true it doesn't ring genuine to me and sarah okay well i i loved joy the most and uh actually what what was interesting and what rang true for me is when in the in the beginning you know each day all the all the thought bubbles pile up you know and they're all mostly that yellow color 
or they all were. And I feel like that's that's what I that's how my brain looks. <laughs> like I'll actually to the detriment of other things, I'll like try to make everything happy or or try to just stay in a in a happy state um even when maybe I shouldn't. So so um that just rang true for me. It's like, oh, all all my my head is full of little yellow bubbles <laughs> every day, or at least that's what I try to do. So um that that's why I liked Joy a lot. Um she, you know, I I'm always a very positive person, so I felt like she was very positive, obviously. So uh that's that's who I identified with. But I I did love sadness and how they you know, throughout the movie, they built upon each other until Joy realized, oh, you actually need these other emotions to function. You know, it's not just my show. So yeah, I, I thought that was great. I I loved Joy, I think, because I tend to fall down on, I try to be happy about things as much as I can. But the character that tickled me the most was disgust. Yes. Yes. <laughs> just and it was just because there are times when that little inner disgust in me sometimes where I'm just like really annoyed with people or with situations <laughs> and so and but I try to like, you know, keep that little inner disgust sometimes from rising up and so I I I liked her. She made me laugh and was the funniest thing, but I I just loved the kind of the interaction between joy and sadness and just the way that they highlighted the um, inner journey. And that was interesting too, because the parents all had, the mom had all female emotions and the uh, dad had all male emotions, but Riley had a mixture of gender emotions, which I thought was interesting too. I don't know if that's saying something about just, because they were trying to mix it up or did any, did that strike anybody during the movie or did you think about it afterwards? Uh, I think what struck me was that they, they, the emotions inside the mom and the dad each had the mom and the dad's hairstyle. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed that it was like they had the emotion color, but then plop on went their hairstyle. And I think that was just for ease of understanding the scene. Do you know what I mean? For the viewer, because, um, you know, obviously Riley's emotions are different genders, but just to understand that whole scene at the dinner's table, I, I think it was just easier to have the mom's emotions all be female and the dad's emotions all be male uh, because you, you couldn't really tell when you were in a person's mind or not, you know, one or the other's mind, unless it was the emotions themselves that were telling you. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me. Me too. Either that or I kind of rationalized it as maybe as she grows up and grows older, they change. Maybe <laughs> they change yeah. genders. <laughs> yeah. I think, well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at it from uh, outside the story perspective. And I think it, it was mixed so that it appeals to both boys and girls. Mm. You know, if they had been, if her emotions had been all female, then you could have easily pegged this movie as, oh, this is a girl's movie, you know, or if it had been a boy and they'd all been male uh, emotions, you could have pegged it as, oh, this is a boy's movie. But as it stands, I don't think you can peg it as either a boy or a girl's movie, because especially in the case of Riley, Riley could easily be Ryan, and the story itself basically wouldn't change at all. I know she was a, a hockey player. She has friendships from her sports. 
and, a, and most, moving away yeah. from your friends, like everything that, yeah. that that Riley goes through, a boy could have gone through the exact same things and it wouldn't have changed it. So I think by by casting her five emotions as both male and female, you kind of balance it and it, the story is readily open to both boys and girls to watch and take the same thing out of it. Yep. Well, I, just, I just love that she was a little a little hockey player and like little little uh, you know sort of because di- um, I was like I played soccer and that was all because my dad you know my sister and I were gonna do all the sports and stuff and um, we and I also I was having major feels being an army brat and having done that every two years go and be the new kid in school oh, wow. and all those. Yeah, but everybody has that moment when you have to stand up. Oh, that's what I thought. Everybody has that moment, and you have to stand in front of the classroom and, like, meet new people. I was, I know. I was the same boat. Every two years, we moved also. You know, as soon as I would become good friends with somebody, it'd be like, oh, we're moving, and you'd have to start all over again. So, I mean, that definitely hit home to me also. Yeah, and Teresa, did you have you had any of those moments where your kids are just, like, you have to meet new, bring new kids into the classroom and see it as for, from that outside perspective as a teacher. Oh yeah. All the time. The only difference is that I don't call them up in the front of the room and ask them to tell us about them. I, um, I treat them as if I exactly how they would want to be treated, which is that they're not there, you know, and that they just blend into the wall and I treat them that way. You know, I talk to them, I go to their go to their desk or whatever, talk to them individually about, you know, how we're going to kind of move through the year and things like that while the other kids are doing stuff. But I don't really bring attention to them. I'll ask them and say, you know, do you want me to introduce you to the rest of the class or not? Because we're talking about high schoolers here, you know. Most of them don't want you to introduce them to the class. Yeah. So I usually don't. I just go on, teach the lesson or whatever, and over the course of the of time, you see the kids start to notice them and go over and talk to them, but they do it on their own rather than me going, hey, everybody, so this kid just moved here. This is their name. Be nice to them, <laughs> you know. Um, I just I I just know that I wouldn't want my teacher to do that, so I don't do it to them. <laughs> but, you know, some of them don't mind, and then some of them were just like, no, thank you. I'm just going to sit here. Yeah, and it depends on, like – what type of personality you are. It's funny because the, the, one of the girls that started working in my company, she, I said that I was, I told her I was an introvert because she was talking about that she felt like she's an introvert and I feel like an introvert and she's like, really? And she's like, but you would do all this stuff. I said, yeah, but if I'm not in a situation where it's just people I don't know when I have to talk to them, I, it's very hard. And a lot of that's sort of moving around and just, you know, having that kind of set the tone of the way I acted growing up. But then I can be very extroverted in different situations. But it's usually when I'm like performing or I have some control over the situation. But new schools, you don't have any control. So I hate being in a meeting at work where everybody goes around the room saying, hi, I'm so-and-so. And I do that. I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have to I'm do like, that? Do you have- I'm like, can't you just skip over me, please? <laughs> well, you know, if you're in a meeting with, like, different departments that you don't normally work with or something like that, and it's like, 
somebody will be like, oh, let's start the meeting by everybody just going around the room and saying their name and what you do. And it's just like, ugh. I can't stand icebreakers. <laughs> like, I'm one of the teachers that does not like icebreaker games. You know, like oh. the things where they make you go. We used to do this every year, you know, and when teachers start up for the beginning of the year and they give you this list of stuff and it's like, go around and find a teacher that traveled out of the country this summer or who has a horse or, you know, just like stuff. And you have to go and talk to people that you've never, that you don't know, or some that you know well enough don't fit any of these categories and you have to do stuff like that. And I'm just like, I usually just sit there and wait for people to be done and then copy off of theirs. <laughs> so we all I we all identified a little bit with Riley in the cafeteria and um not wanting to Oh, that was go. the worst. Like the first yeah. day in a new school and cafeteria comes and it's like where do you sit? Uh, I hated so that. I hated that. And it's I mean it's become such a thing in like, you know, the high school movies and stuff. It's been done a million times, but like, oh, I just, I dreaded that. But, you know, that kind of stuff even happens for teachers. Like, I was new to school this year, coming in in January, and everybody already knows each other because they spent a semester with each other. So, you know, I have to figure out how how to go and navigate the cafeteria by myself. I look like I'm in high school, you know, so I have everybody, <laughs> you know, asking me for my badge and stuff all the time or whatever. I finally just said, oh, man, screw this, and I just ate in my room. I took a lunch and just ate oh. in my room and talked to you guys on Twitter during my lunch hour. But don't you guys have, like, that awesome teacher's lounge where it's, like, there's, like, a bar in there and, like, plush couches and flat screen TVs and, like, um, no, popcorn is, machine and this stuff. This public and, like, school education, so no. That's <laughs> what kids... Kids always imagine the teacher's lounge to be that way. Yeah, well, at 45 not. years old, I'm still imagining the teacher's lounge to be some magical place. It's not. It's where magic happens. Whoa. I mean, sometimes there's magic food in there that appears from people who left food for us, but not always. One of the one of the cool things, well, Pixar obviously is um, sort of known for its group storytelling that it does um, under the hand of John Lasseter and his guidance. We have had a lot of different famous storytellers come out of the Pixar model, including Josh Whedon and Michael Arndt. And one of the things in storytelling, I thought this story actually is a good way to show visibly what storytelling is. And one of the ways they did that was with the islands of personality in Riley. So we had family, sports, friendship, honesty, and goofball island. And those islands sort of created the adventure that, that joy and sadness had to go through when they got lost from the main core brain center. <laughs> 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 so, um, what did you guys think like about how they established the, you know, these core personality traits and then they started disintegrating? Did that, did that resonate? Did it feel real to you as far as, um, were you, were they becoming believable stakes as for this character? It made my brain a whole lot more simple. Suddenly I began to understand my head. I was like, ah, oh, okay. 
this is Star Wars land. <laughs> yeah, yep, I was gonna say what what would our our personalities be? <laughs> or maybe it would be like Geek Land. Yeah, Teresa, island. I think you just need like what like Collector's Island or something Collectors like island. that. Just to yeah. simplify things even more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then you know, there's the and it kinda helps me to understand myself because you know, we're all pretty diverse people. I mean you know, there's the book nerd in me, there's the musician, there's the jock, there's the geeky person. You know, people always say stuff like, wow, you're into a lot of things. How can you be into so many things? And now I can explain them. These are my islands. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, and they did, they actually did a lot of research on how the brain works and thinking about how they were going to uh, highlight um, the inner workings of the emotional self. But as a as a storyteller, when you're talking about creating a story you and a character, you have to create the sort of foundational things that a character is. And you can't make too many or you overcomplicate your character and how they're going to interact. But if every character you have these kind of foundational things, five or six things, this is one of the basics they teach you about storytelling, then you can manipulate characters. And when you're talking about changing a character, that it, it actually visibly, I'm looking at the story going, this is an incredible way to actually teach storytelling to people because it's establishing exactly how you need to build a character. So, but really for me, like the heartbreaking moment was when Goofball island went because then i'm like wow this you know because that's sort of joy you know that's the joy goofy part was gone and it made sense that that was sort of the first kind of crumbling of her kind of core personality in that and anyway and then there was imagination land which was all out there (laughs) yeah yeah i thought it was so incredible how they mapped the brain basically with these different areas uh, the whole, like you said, the imagination land, the train of thought. <laughs> yeah, I, did, from I each... did like the train of thought. I thought that was <laughs> incredible. And then you had you had the whole memory dump area. And how about the the uh, the commercial, the jingle that they just kept? <laughs> yeah, that was. I great. love those people that were like, that kept pushing the gum commercial up to the top. Uh-huh. <laughs> Why am I thinking about that again? <laughs> that commercial. That's the little inner me that's going. I need to go to McDonald's for Coke. That's that little Coke commercial. The McDonald's commercials keep coming back through my brain. <laughs> um. One of the things I absolutely loved was the fact you know you see her as a baby and her her little the the single button that pops up for for the baby you know in the control center. Yeah. So like when she's a baby, it's just a single button that Joy presses, and obviously that's that's all you get. But then as as a kid, her control center, you know, becomes a little more complex. And then at the end, of course, you know, you get a whole new control center with the dreaded puberty button yeah. <laughs> on there. I thought that was a great way to establish the fact that you grow more complex as you grow grow up, and your more your emotions are more complex, and you become a more complex person. I'll, exactly. I'll admit something here. I totally didn't get the headquarters thing until I was listening to Pete Doctor on Fresh Air, and when when Terry Gross was like, "Oh, headquarters!" like, <laughs> and that's when I got it too. I'm like, "Oh, 
oh, okay, that's pretty cool. It completely just didn't occur to me. Okay, it's not occurring to me either. So head, like quarters, meeting, right, like it's her head. They were inside her head. Their headquarters was inside her head. That was their quarters. Like quarters would be like your base, like on the military. Well, your quarters is where you live. Oh, okay, okay. So their headquarters was their quarters and her head. (laughs) (laughs) Very cute. Okay, I I get it now too. Woohoo! I, so, I, I, too, love the idea of the different islands, but I think that overall one of the things that left me a little flat was I just thought that it was all kind of, it was rather dull inside her head. Like, I, I felt like creatively they had so much freedom to just like be really creative visually and like just incorporate all this stuff in it. But, you know, her, her memories were marbles. The, the, the marbles were then all filed just in rows and giant, you know, kind of bookshelves and stuff that became a maze that you would get lost in the, the little dudes who were kind of in charge of, you know, keeping track of all those were just kind of blobs sort of, I, I just felt like there was a lot more room to like really expand and get really imaginative with the look of it. I don't know how you guys, what do you guys think about that? I almost think that the story, oh, I, the story was, I guess I was so into it that I wasn't even looking at too much at the kind of the setting, just in fact, in the moments that it was happening. So they probably could have, I mean, that is the thing about going inside a head. You could do anything with it. It was almost like the topic was so complex that they were simplified. They were like trying to simplify everything to make it understandable. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Understandable. But did Teresa, did you have an imaginary friend when you were a kid? Heck yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So you liked Bing Bong. I had several imaginary friends. Were they named Bing Bong? No. No. I don't Do really you still know. have imaginary? No. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> um, they all look like ponies. <laughs> do they? Do they all look like ponies? They didn't back then, but they do now. Well, that's interesting you say that because I didn't think Bing Bong was very true to what a girl would imagine as her imaginary friend. Like, I thought it was too ugly. and that a girl would think of something prettier like a pony or a unicorn or a pegasus that that would be my uh like like the pretty uh rainbow tailed and mane my imaginary friend looks like rainbow bright like i'll be honest (laughs) (laughs) see isn't that prettier than bing bong well i just thought bing bong was created by a guy i i like the the cotton candy part and i like the cat tail but I wasn't so much of a fan of the head part. No. I like oh. the crying candy part. I thought that was fun. <laughs> yeah, that was cute. <laughs> he cries candy. That's just what he does. I would definitely, my imaginary friend would have looked more like a pony or a horse. Actually, you know who he, he would look like is Minimus from Sophia the First, and I'm <gasps> sure that everything. like, <gasps> yeah, Minimus. Erish has no idea what I'm talking about. I have no about. idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I know. <laughs> 
there's like Maximus, the purple unicorn yeah there's horse. Maximus entangled and there's Minimus and Sophie the first and I actually love Minimus because he's the little Pegasus who wishes he could be a big Pegasus but he's just a little one and... <laughs> he wasn't sure he could fly or you know like yeah at first play yeah. that game so cute yeah air polo Minimus. what was it something polo Yes, that's what it was. And I'm sadly now admitting that I watched Sophie. <laughs> hey, you know what? I had to watch it for research. But, but yeah, it's, I loved that show. Like, I was like, wow, if this was on when I was a kid, I'd be totally into Sophia the First. And, and, and the Star Wars connection to Sophia the First is? Ashley Eckstein Ashley plays Eckstein. the little bird. Yep. There you go. <laughs> and there you have it. Yay. Okay. Now that we're off topic. No. Learn, That's all right. learn something new every time you go on fangirl chat. See, there you go. So what did everybody think of abstract thought? Because I thought that probably every kid in the movie theater was totally lost and that was totally in there. That was hilarious. This 45 year old guy was totally lost. <laughs> what was going on? It was fabulous. I was like, oh, no, oh, no. I was like, oh, they're going to go 2D. Oh, they went 2D. And then they kept going and she... Sadness said it right when I was thinking it. Fall on your face. Fall on your face. <laughs> <laughs> I totally got abstract thought. But, but the best part was it was a ab, one of those moments where you had to do show, not tell. She, sadness was had read the manual, and therefore she understood all of these things that were going on, which thank goodness that Joy had her read the manuals, which is one of the cool things about showing how different emotions work. Mm. Um, but she had read the manual and that's why she um, understood all these random things that were happening in abstract thought, including, I think they sort of looked like a Picasso uh, <laughs> <laughs> painting for a little bit. So yeah, the, I thought the artists were having a little bit of fun doing their abstract art in that section too. So um, I I got it, but I figured that they that every kid in there was sort of like, uh, what's happening? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> so, and then, uh, you know, the the marbles, you know, sadness couldn't help herself, and she was touching these emotion, the happy, the yellow marbles, and turning them blue. But as we went along and we saw more about the story, it turned out that. Some of these emotions were actually um, remembered as joyous, but they were also intermingled with sad moments in the uh, memory. That, for instance, the the happy moment that we see with all her friends came after Riley had a very sad moment. So I thought there was a nice sort of um, reminder that you can't have one necessarily without the other, and sometimes it's sadness leads to joy and um anyway did did you guys like did you how did that affect you differently when you saw it when you saw that how it opened up the story beyond what what we were seeing from joy's perspective well it did for me and that was actually the point i was going to make is that kids go through a lot of emotions and unfortunately a lot of times what I see from parents is that they try to shove joy and happiness down their kids' throats to the point that they get angry or that they, you know, get rebellious and resent their parents and things like that. 
because they aren't allowed to experience things, you know, or kids don't feel comfortable talking to their parents about things that are not happy. They only, you know, want to talk to them about the happy things because otherwise their parents might get upset or get mad. And I think a lot of what the story was trying to tell is that you really cannot have one emotion without others. You know, there almost everything you experience has multiple emotions in it. And you can't experience joy without experiencing some sort of sadness or fear. Um, and it's just the way that life is. And I think another thing the story tells is that you have to allow your kids to experience things and to feel things and to truly let them feel and find their way through those emotions so that they can learn how to deal with those emotions when they come up, when they're no longer living in your house. Um, and I think that they pointed out a lot of that stuff in this without saying it. Yeah. Well, it, we noticed that the parents had, well, one of the things for Riley was her parents had a lot of expectations for her to be the happy girl because that's what she was. And that was one of the reasons Riley was sort of avoiding everything that was happening because she couldn't be the girl that her parents wanted her to be in. They, I mean, obviously it wasn't, we just saw a little snippets of how their life wasn't great necessarily. They were moving and the dad had some stress and he wanted to come home and see Riley be the happy girl and she couldn't do that. So she ended up sort of, um, you know, disconnecting and, and, you know, losing, you know, lost friendship. She wanted to go back and try to rebuild that. So I thought that was kind of a neat way to highlight that sometimes you just have to let kids be who they are, but also, that even as adults, we sh it's not necessarily a bad thing to be sad sometimes or to be angry or even fearful of things. So I, I do know that some of my greatest, happiest moments have usually come right at the scariest moments uh, for me. You know, like when I went and competed at the National Horse Show, I, was, I don't think I was ever more scared for weeks on end going and then, you know, all the things that didn't happen and it went well and that was one of my happiest moments or you could think about if you're even on like on a roller coaster or a ride amusement park and you're you're experiencing fear for a moment and then you come out and you're like yeah that was awesome being <laughs> live on the stage at celebration <laughs> yeah. yeah and then i go to the fact like you know what a previous boyfriend of mine you know our breakup was really hard and i just remember crying all night one night but then that makes those moments all the sweeter when you actually find, you know, find someone that you're meant for, you know, and like you, you can't have those, like you said, you can't have those high moments without having those low, low, low points. So it, it makes a lot of sense that you, you need all the emotions. This is where I disconnected a little bit from the movie, particularly after joy and sadness, I kind of banished as the wrong world word, but like, after they're excised from headquarters and they're out on their own trying to get back. Like from that point on, it seemed like what was happening in Riley's world was not a result of her experiences in that world, but rather was a result of the emotions experiences inside her head. Do, do you see what I'm getting at? Like, 
Yeah, yeah, I do. Because joy and sadness now aren't in her head, aren't at that control board anymore. And so it's it's not Riley reacting to her own experiences. It's Riley reacting to the experiences of the two emotions that aren't there. And it, to me, that just, it, it kind of, I guess I'm I'm seeing it a little bit differently than the rest of the world seems to be seeing this movie. And no, that, I can I can actually agree with you, but I'll let you finish your point and then. I don't know that there was much more to my point, but <laughs> it's just, you know, at that point, sadness and joy aren't aren't they're not part of her anymore, and so I I don't know I just I'm, I'm having a hard time explaining this, and and honestly, it's been like swimming around in my head for like a week now, and I've been having a hard time trying to to formulate like really pinpoint exactly what it is that's been bugging me about this, but just something didn't seem to ring true to me about this whole connection between the emotions and her and the way that the story was told. Well, okay. So my interpretation of that, you know, I did notice it, but I just, I guess I kind of tried to ignore it, but have you ever been, any of you, been in a situation where you just sort of turn numb, where you're not mm-hmm. happy, you're not sad, you're not really anything, you know, and people are like, well, how are you? And you're just blah. Yep. Um, that's kind of how I was interpreting Riley being. She lost her main two, like, lead emotions, you know, which are, like, happiness and joy and sadness. And so she's just sort of in this blah zone. And so the things that are controlling her the most are, you know, her anger and her fear at this point. And, you know, it's fear of the unknown and fear of things that are going on and then being angry about all of those things happening and not allowing the joy or the sadness to come in. She's just in that very neutral, blah, either angry or scared kind of place. And I've been in that place a lot. And so I guess I can kind of see it that way. So I don't know if that helps you, Irish. No, it does. That's a good, that's a good way yeah, to look at it. I, I actually, I, I saw it as a direct having experienced emotion, uh, bouts of depression and having got, experienced it from, with um, friends. Depression isn't necessarily that like it is, you don't feel joy. And sometimes you just don't feel sadness. You just I remember a point in my life where I was just just was disgusted with people. I was very scared of everything that was going on in my life and I was angry a lot. And and I didn't think I was sad and I certainly was never happy. Yep. And so for me and yes, that numb is one of the emotion one of the emotions and ha- and I I think this was act was actually just a very simple statement in a movie about that some when you're in that type it's literally um an imbalance in your brain where things aren't working the way they're supposed to emotionally and so you there ha, there are ways to course correct that and sometimes it's a medication and sometimes it's counseling and sometimes it's just talking to people sometimes you have to just go through that phase and to me that's what that's what joy and sadness being taken out of the equation were in the way I viewed it, because it was very much as Teresa described that kind of time when you do feel numb, but you actually aren't numb because you do react to things in certain ways. But 
to me that was that was sort of the story of um of it was a story of mental illness and that part where you do lose some emotions you can't you don't necessarily function in the right way but anxiety and anger and that those type of emotions will rise to the top usually when you when you're in that type of framework and for me it was just interesting because for me it was always about friendship and family that sort of lifted me out of those moments so in the way that she reconnected with her parents and, um, you know, was for, for me very real. And that's how I saw the movie and how I connected to it. Well, I, just, I think you hit the nail on the head by using the word depression. I mean, that's basically, they highlighted what an 11 year old looks like when they're depressed. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That was good, Trisha. Although you mentioned medication. So now I want to see this movie again with the character Ritalin in it. <laughs> and, 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 and voiced by Liam Neeson. <laughs> oh my gosh! Um, Would he be like um, taken? Yeah, basically, I, he'd be playing this taking character, like, like I'm a drug. I have a very particular <laughs> set of skills. <laughs> But he, his whole thing would be essentially getting them yeah, onto the control. Uh, and onto the train of thought yes. to get back to the headquarters, which I thought the train of thought was very interesting. All the. Although when they finally got, it was definitely when they got to the train of thought, it was like, okay, well now we're going to get there. So we're, we're all good. Right. But, um, but then they, they did have a little bit of fun. Um, maybe not necessarily get, getting into the headquarters. As easily no, I'm sorry. Like, you know, subjecting us all to clown fears was not cool to, for anybody. <laughs> anyway. I don't, you know what? I ha- I am horribly afla- afraid of clowns. Um, I think most of us are. It's, uh, for me, it was was it Poltergeist? Poltergeist the, yes. yes, the clown under the bed, and now I can't. Uh, and they're bringing that clown back again in the remake. It's no. that's just like wrong. Well, it was it's just Poltergeist, wrong. and then it was it. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I I would like wouldn't put my foot after Poltergeist. I wouldn't even put my foot down beside the bed. I would yeah. like jump nope. off. Uh, I'm with you. The bed so far away. Nice. <laughs> So, okay, so now we have a bunch of Pixar movies that we've all seen, and where would you rate this on your Pixar scale? I think for me, Finding Nemo is number one, and then the Toy Story movies, and then probably this one, actually. It was so inventive. I really liked it. Hmm, Erish? Oh, I think easily Cars 2 is the bottom of the rung. I, I, <laughs> I agree. I, I think that that's uh, Pixar. I, they, they swung for the fences with it, and they just whiffed. Um, I don't know. Well, not, you got to swing to whiff. Yeah. So. Uh, this, I mean, this is by no means a Cars 2, but I just looking at the roster of other Pixar movies, for me, I don't know. This one's down there in like the 12, 13, probably. Sorry to say. That's all right. Teresa? Well, my number one favorite is Cars. Um, So, yeah. (laughs) But, yeah, Cars is number one. And then, honestly, I put number two in front of all the Toy Story movies. I enjoyed it. Like, I love Toy Story. I think Toy Story is great. 
but you know Toy Story in my opinion is getting a little bit overdone and they're going to bring out Toy Story 4 and I'm like okay time to move on I love Toy Story but it's just before it for me and it, nothing will ever beat Cars there's absolutely no way anything will ever beat Cars Cars is up there for me but I think Incredibles is my number one yeah, Incredibles is my number I just, one. I, I love Holly Hunter's character in that movie so much. <laughs> so you're happy that they're doing another Incredibles? Oh, yes. More, 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 please. Yeah, as long as they don't Cars to it. Well, see, yeah. and I see, and I love Cars, and I actually love Cars 2. Cars 2, my husband and I can watch all the time, and we just laugh our butts off. I'm a big fan of the first one. I just I thought that they they took the characters out of they got away from who the characters really were in the second one. You know, trying to, trying to do this whole James Bond adventure thing, and, and I think that that was the misstep with it. I agree. I really would have just liked to have seen you know a story in Radiator Springs and seen Car Babies. Yeah, I was <laughs> happy with that. This one is actually. Probably it's my second favorite now. So what's your um, what's first? Your oh, you said Incredibles. Yeah, Incredibles. Yeah. So this one, I just liked a lot of the things they did with the the storytelling, and I really liked Joy and Sadness. I want to hug them. I want to hug them a lot. So <laughs> Joy was a bully. She kind of was a little bit. She drove me crazy. She drew a circle and made sadness. Stand. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, she was. Sadness she was, was doing things she, she wasn't she, supposed to be doing. She wouldn't. No, she wouldn't <laughs> let any of the other emotions do their well, emotion things unless she told them to. Well, she wouldn't yeah, let yeah. anybody play with the control board unless she gave them permission to. She was an absolute bully. She was a horrible monster. Everyone needs she a was, leader. Everyone needs a leader. Joy was Joy was a leader who didn't have a lot of empathy, but she learned empathy, and now, therefore she 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 learned to accept. Now values. let me ask you this, because this is fan girl chat. I'm just curious. Mm-hmm. If Joy had been a male, would you have thought the same way? Well, no, because I actually think that uh, seeing a male character in that type of leadership, you do this, you do that position, is so normal that it would have been less striking. I don't, I mean, the most important thing for me, to, yeah, because Joy could, could, and they even worried about that when they talked about it, was that that is, she could come off to people as being overbearing or right. whatever, but I saw me and Joy, whereas <laughs> I can tell people that you have to go here because I'm like, can be a total control freak, like, no, you have to stand, you have to do there and you can't do your thing and be quiet. <laughs> I, I saw... Uh, Joy was totally me sometimes where you're like, you have to do this. Teresa knows. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You have to do this. And that's the way totally was, I could totally see me and her because I, I can do that. But then you have to, you have to learn to understand how other people are going to, which is sadness in this case is going to react. So it was kind of funny. Well, and it's like, you have to know when to relinquish control and let others use their strengths and take charge when they need to you know and like each emotion needs to be able to take charge of Riley when the setting calls for it you know you can't just have one that's in charge of everybody did any of you find it interesting how the leader in the other heads was different like in the dad's yes. head it was anger and in the mom's head it was sadness oh. yes I I did I did notice that and then that made me go on the whole well I want to know 
how sadness rules mom and but they were all they were all working together and i loved the little what was it the Ar- the argentine uh bubble that kept oh, that the, guy. Whatever. the helicopter pilot <laughs> Yeah, that kept po- kept popping up into the memory, and they were like, "We're gonna let him go, maybe not." So we can't we can't close this episode without talking about the thing that everybody, if you go to the movie, have to sit and watch the end after the end because they dove into a bunch of other characters' heads at the end of the movie. So did anybody have a favorite character that they went inside their head. Wait, go go through them again. Which ones did they do? It's been a while since I've seen it. Now. It was the girl. It was the girl in the pizza shop, right? Okay. And yeah, she was, there was like the the punk rocker kind of girl. But... Yeah, oh, the right. punk rock. And we had oh gosh, there were a couple, but well, the ones that stuck out to me were the dog, yeah, the dog, the cat, yeah. Um, yeah. at at the end. So I I just totally the cat that. walking across the control board. The cat was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they had they had a little fun. I mean, my cat is always walking across my laptop. And when I was a kid, my cat was always walking across the piano because it was fascinated with that it could make the noises, apparently. So I thought the, the cat and the dog were spot on. So they very good because people were standing up. I'm like, no, no, sit down and watch the end. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. Can I just I just wanted to say one more thing about this movie. My the moment that stood out to me the most was when uh Joy and Bing Bong were going to be lost in the in the pit, you know, mm-hmm. and um about to be forgotten and Bing Bong, you know, basically sacrifices himself to being forgotten so that Joy can get out. Like that to me was like, uh, uh, I got to cry now." <laughs> that, that was good. That was good. And and it just made me think of all the things I've forgotten since i was a kid you know it's like oh what have i forgotten and no longer remember anymore and i feel bad for whoever that was <laughs> forgot your childhood invisible friend that's a pony yep yep oh joy would have just been able to take like one step and would have been out of that because i've just i've forgotten so much in my life I- now that that <laughs> chasm would have been filled to the rim I was waiting, well, because Joy reminded me a lot of Tinkerbell in a lot of ways, so I was just waiting for her to sprout wings. It's going to be really difficult. Oh, the wings. There we go. Thank you. I was going to say, it's going to be really difficult at Comic-Con to decipher a Joy from a Tinkerbell costume. Yes. I'm going to have yes. to look for the wings. Joy has blue hair, though. Yeah, Joy has blue hair. You're talking, you're yes. talking to somebody who's not the Tink expert that you are. Tinkerbell so. doesn't have blue hair. Come on now. <laughs> And you haven't lived until you've hung out with Jedi Tink because when Jedi Tink turns around, you get you oh, get I've the wing smack. <laughs> yeah, but you get the wing smack. So is she? If you're at a party in tight quarters, like the Rebel Force Radio, you get the watch out, you everyone. To, you have to say, give her wide berth, and she also has a lightsaber too. So really, give her wide berth. <laughs> well, yeah. Before we end this, though, did you guys catch any of the little Easter eggs that were in it? Well, no, what were the Easter yeah, eggs? So, there were several, but I'll give you guys a few. So the birds that are in the short film for the birds were on that telephone wire. They're in there on a telephone wire, like at the very beginning of the film. It's oh, one cool. of the Pixar shorts. Yeah. Um, during the nightmare scene, I don't know if any of you caught it, but they played the Haunted Mansion yes, music. I caught that. I caught that. Okay. Um, 
the Pixar ball is actually in there. Um, and it's during a memory that Bing Bong has of him and Riley. So that's when the ball makes their appearance. In Imagination Land, there's a board game in there that's called Find Me with yes. a fish that looks like Nemo on it. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And let's see, John Ratzenberger, he was in there. I remember, do y'all remember catching his voice? Because I heard him. Yes. I didn't uh, hear yeah, I was were those... wondering where he was. They were the two guys who were guarding uh, the place uh, where the... No, no, no. It was when they upgraded their, their thing. The, it looks like the same little blobby people, but when they're upgrading their console at the end... When they get the new console at the end? The fancy major more emotion console. Oh, maybe it was Frank Oz who was one of the guys who was guarding the place where the clown was. Really? I believe so, yeah. That was an no. Easter egg. Loaded with all these famous people. Yes. Did, did people like the short? I the... love the short. <laughs> Me too. It's adorable, yeah. Oh, I love that music, that style. So good. Uh-huh. I just, I, that just instantly sucked me in and like had me the whole time. Absolutely. Yeah. Loved it. That was, the, the shorts are always fun. I love the shorts. As a matter of fact, I believe there are, well, there's not, those are, that's Pixar, but the Disney shorts are coming out in August on DVD. I just like, cause you can do like different things in a short film than you can in a you know long form so you're they're just trying to tell the story in the song i just thought it was it was so cute and just i like the hawaiian little melody yeah the song was great the animation was great just the story was really nice yeah i really dug it i liked it um i had some more easter eggs for you guys but i liked the story it was cute you have there's more easter easter eggs yeah okay so the pizza planet truck is in there i'm not going to tell you guys where it is so, but it's in there, like, three times. Yeah, and then they use the code A113 in all of the films that they do, which is the number of the California Institute of the Arts. Um, okay. that you, and so, anyway, it's in there. It's when she heads to her new school, and she's in the room, A113. Oh. Um, and then, let's see, they always put their next film in the movie, and so Arlo, the drag, the dragon, the dinosaur from The Good Dinosaur, is in the movie. He's in there a couple of times, I think. So, that's I didn't it. Know, I didn't know that they did that. Yep, they always put the next oh. movie in the that's coming in the in the film somewhere. And the next movie is The Good, the Dino- good, good Dinosaur. Dinosaur. Yeah, um. I'm interested to see that one. Yeah, it'll be fun. I, I have not read good things about it so far. Supposedly, there was some story problems with it earlier. Yeah, I know they had they had um, change. It changed directors, yeah. right? Uh, I yeah, think so. Means. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes they come together because they actually Peter Doctor, right? That's the name yep, of the director. Pete Doctor. Yeah. yeah, he uh, had had moments where he was very unsure of this movie so um sometimes it's yeah. just finding the right thing to click it along and i believe his thing was figuring out they need to put joy and sadness together so this might have been a completely different movie if it hadn't been for his i guess his moment of panic they cut <laughs> liam neeson's ritalin character out <laughs> <laughs> he decided not to medicate him. Liam Neeson just needs to be in every movie. 
and then um, every movie would be perfect. Everything so. would be awesome. Sorry, he's in that movie. Oh, wrong franchise. <laughs> I know, but he's in there. Close enough. All right, so what's everybody up to? Is there anything you want to plug, and where can people find you? So we'll do our guests first, Sarah. Okay, well, as you know, I'm on Fangirls Going Rogue with you two lovely ladies. Exciting. And then I'm also on Skywalking Through Neverland, which can be found at skywalkingthroughneverland.com and searching any fun podcasts. And we're also working on a new show that'll come out eh, once every month or six weeks or so in place of a Skywalking Through Neverland that is going to visit some of the live action Disney movies from the 60s and 70s. Uh, so so we got some interesting things going on there and we're uh, going to roll out with one next week uh, with Stephen Stanton as our special guest. So um, oh, look for that wow. next week. Yeah, it's exciting. Himself. Yes. Yeah. Yes, he's talk. really into Disney as well as Star Wars, so he was excited to be a part of it. Oh, I did not know that. And Arish, I think you're going to have some adventures this month, maybe. Yeah, I've got San Diego Comic-Con coming up in a couple weeks. But I actually have a podcast that I can plug now. Uh, I have a regular regular stint on Geek Out Loud. A couple times a month we talk movies in a segment we call Pass the Corn. Uh, Sarah, last night we actually actually talked, talked Apple Dumpling Gang. Last uh, we recorded last night, I think, because it's it's uh, 40th anniversary for that. Oh my gosh! Nice. So we, uh, That's actually the next we one talk- we were going to do after the one we're doing now. Steve Glasson and I recorded last night. I think it's going to go live tomorrow. So look for that. We talk some anniversary movies, and then we do our. One beginning of the month, we look ahead at everything that's coming out. So July is a huge month. Lots, lots and lots of movies. So geek out loud. And I'm at dark underscore duff on Twitter. You can find um, Trisha, Sarah, and myself every month on Fangirls Going Rogue, which is a part of the Rebel Force Radio Network. Um, you can interact with us for Fangirl Chat through the Fangirls Going Rogue Facebook page, which is at facebook.com and um, look for Fangirls Going Rogue. You can also find Twitter for everything. Fangirls Going Rogue is at FG Going Rogue. Trisha is at Fangirl Cantina. I am at Ice Cold Penguin on everything. And you can email us if you want to. Just email fangirlsgoingrogue at gmail.com. So I think that's it. Woo! I have a dream. I hope it will come true that you're here with me and I'm here with you. I wish that the earth see the sky up above will send me someone to love. Hello. Hola. Hello. <laughs> I was like, maybe I should do it different language. Um, um. Then you're speaking minion. <laughs> My German minion. Left me. Pinata. <laughs> Bello. <laughs> Bello. <laughs>
Bella. Hello. <laughs> I just did a minion in my puppet show today. Cucaracha. <laughs>